Welcome to Great Minds with Michael Medved, where we pull back for a little while from the tussle and hustle of daily news headlines to think about the timeless in the human experience. You can visit us at our online home, which is mindswithmedved.com, to subscribe and to follow this and future episodes of this program. Now, nothing, when you talk about what's timeless in human experience, is more timeless than the mysterious and the magnetic attraction of storytelling. Human beings are born storytellers, but very few have been more gifted than our guest today, the renowned director, screenwriter, producer, and uh, also songwriter, uh, Randall Wallace. He's known for his credits, including writing Braveheart, uh, Heaven is for Real, which he directed, and We Were Soldiers, which he wrote as directed, and recently, the very popular and beautiful film, Secretariat. Uh, Mr. Wallace is a committed storyteller and artist, and something far rarer in Hollywood. He's also a committed Christian. I hope to talk with him today about Hollywood and faith. Should they be in perpetual, inevitable collision? Or can there be a productive collaboration? Randall, great to see you again and great, great to, to have you. you as part of this program. Thank you, Michael. Great to see you, my friend. You bet. Um, okay, first of all, just to give people some background, I am sure this is something that you hear about all the time. We, we live in a society where every young man who doesn't have a career in his mind in professional sports uh, dreams of getting somehow into the movie business or the entertainment business. How did that happen to you? It's bizarre because I never had any ambition at all to be involved with movies. I, I loved stories, and they were the medium through which love and life were passed to me. I felt connected with my, my ancestors in that way. Um, my father's father was dead before my father was born. He was what Southerners called a posthumous child. And my father would take me and we would, we would stare at the grave of his father. And it was many years before I understood that he had not known the man in that grave either. And all we saw was Wallace on the, on the headstone. And, and there were these silences. And the, the silences were even more intriguing to me. And when I began to hear the stories, I... I soaked in every word. On the other side of my family, my grandmother would hold me at night. I had profound asthma, um, such that it, it felt that it, if I were to lie down, I would smother to death. And, and I don't know why my, it wasn't my parents that I remember, because I'm sure they held me in the same way, but I have these vivid memories of my grandmother when I was just two or three years old holding me up and looking at me, staring into my eyes and talking to me so that I would, would be distracted from the, the smothering. If I got excited, I, I might lose my life. And she would tell me stories. And I equated love with God and stories with God. It, it, it matched up for me that I was hearing a voice that was transcendent and eternal when I was hearing my, my grandmother's voice. And I felt that even though I didn't know the words transcendent or eternal at those ages, but I felt it then. I clearly remember feeling that. This is growing up 
in North Carolina? Uh, Tennessee. Tennessee. And um, I, I just knew I wanted to be involved with that. And where that manifested for me, honestly, was in music. Um, I went to Baptist churches. And, and Baptists uh, are, are huge on preaching. And, of course, in every Baptist service, there is this call to conversion. I've even been to funerals, <laughs> uh, literally, where at the funeral there would be this call to a profession of faith and hey, salvation. Listen, there are a lot of Baptist movies uh, that are made by ministries that end with an altar call. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's uh, a characteristic. It's the Great Commission. Yes. Right? And to, to go out and preach. But I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, and, and, and there is a... Not to say a shadow of that, but there's a, a rougher other side of that, which is if we're trying to convince someone and, and corral them into a certain uh, group of words or experience, then are we actually listening to them and are we actually loving them? And uh, we can, we'll talk about it later, I hope, but um, it was later in my life when I began to think that Jesus didn't work that way. Uh, Jesus didn't operate in that fashion. But I equated certain experiences uh, just as listening to my grandmother. I equated those with God. I felt the hand of God at certain times, and it almost always had to do with music. Um, when I was in church, and Baptists, uh, I think remarkably, uh, the members of the Church of Christ do Two are, are huge on singing, but they're a cappella. Uh, Baptists sing at the top of their lungs, and the the minister of music will not face the choir. He faces the congregation and and guides them and stirs them up. And our hymns were written largely by Beethoven, Bach, Handel, Brahms, um, and the words were written by the Wesleys or great lyricists and. When we were all singing um, in this grandeur, I would feel a, um, an epic sort of power. And I wanted to write songs, and I couldn't make commercial songs have that for me. Forget what I could make them do for other people. I couldn't do it for them either. But I, I wanted to, to get myself to feel that power. And... Then I was getting nowhere with songwriting and decided I would try a screenplay, and it just became a natural form for me. And in writing them, I was always looking for that moment when I would feel that transcendent surprise and that awe, that, that intake of air like um, in... I, I, studied religion at university and they they told us that that the the word for god was was similar to the the breath that god breathed into us and in spirit was the same word as breath and um that yahweh into us and and that like a spirited horse captures the meaning of what we mean by spirit. That yeah, ruach is the Hebrew word, and which also sometimes is used as wind. Yes. So you're, you're talking about moving air. Yes. And, and in the book of Acts, 
the story of the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples, that it moved through them like a great wind. Uh, I have had an experience like that, it, as if something breathed into me. And while it sounds so airy-fairy to say, <laughs> when you have the experience, it is unmistakably what you would call a divine visitation. Okay, let's back up for a moment. You reached a point where you realized your means of communicating this closeness that you felt in your grandmother's arms was going to be through screenplays and movies, yes. not not through song. Where were you? How old were you? Where where were you in your progress through life when you made that realization? I was twenty seven, and I remember the exact moment. Okay, where where uh, were you? You studied. I know you had gone to seminary at one yes, point. Yes, yes. I majored in religion, and then did a year of seminary and. Had I known that I might go to seminary, I probably wouldn't have majored in religion. But the study, I was at Duke University, and the study of religion was so fascinating for me. And I had no ambitions, uh, no expectations at all of becoming uh, a clergyman. Um, in fact, one of the great meetings of my life was with my my home pastor, the, the pastor of the church where I grew up. And uh, I was about 18 19, and he said, do you plan to be a pastor? Because he knew I was majoring in religion. And I said, honestly, no, I don't feel that call, but I know it's the greatest call anyone could have. And he said, you're wrong. The greatest call anyone can have is the call God has for you. It, it was one of the most beautiful moments. And uh, and my friends, and when I was in divinity school and I told them I, I was leaving and I felt so guilty because they were going to hold the hands of the sick and the dying. They were going to go to, to, to struggling countries and teach them how to grow food. They were going to you know, do the meat of life. And I was going off thinking I would be a songwriter. And, uh, and one of my friends um, said to me, if we could do what you can do, we would do it. If you don't do it, I will personally kick your butt. And I named my, my first son after him. Uh, but I was in North Hollywood. It was 19, I was uh, 27. And I realized that I had um, worked with every fiber of my being to succeed at songwriting. I tried, um, it was getting up at 4.30 in the morning, working all day, all my resources. And you wrote the lyrics and the music to these songs. Yes, yes. And I, I, mean, I was trying to write popular songs, and there are many popular songs that I think are just absolutely genius. You know, oh, they're, incredible. They're, and there are and, many. And that, particularly the Great American Songbook. Oh, yeah. so rich. I'm going all the way back. This stuff that will last forever. So, by the way, have any of your songs, I, I, I know the great, great hymn that you wrote the lyrics to, uh, that concludes your your movie, your great movie, We Were Soldiers. And that's now a hymn that I know that they performed it when they were carrying President Reagan's body. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, other than that, and that's a big exception, other Randall Wallace songs that we should know about? No, Michael, and uh, interestingly for me, I believe that those years in working in songs completely prepared me for what I do now in that 
um, dialogue, if, you, if you're really looking to write telling, concise, powerful, lyrical dialogue, there's no training ground better than trying to say everything in three verses and a chorus mm. of a song. Well, and again, the best movie dialogue has a rhythm to it. Yes. And you, you can tell when it's stilted. Uh, there's yes. no rhythmic sense. There's no counter melody. Right. Um, and it, it falls flat. Not in your films ever. Well, if you, if, if you have a character uh, who's going to say something like, every man dies, not every man really lives. Uh, that was a line from your film Braveheart. Yes. And, and Or to say, they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Which, of course, is an echo of Patrick Henry and mm. give me liberty or give me death. But you have to have that feel utterly natural to the character. If, if the character seems to have screwed himself up to, to pontificate and deliver this Shakespearean line, it, 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 it won't, it'll only land if it feels natural. And, and that's a, a trait of songwriting. I trained in Nashville and I realized I was not a country writer, but those country writers taught me so much about lyrics that are accessible and, uh, and elegant in their beauty. And uh, that, that tell a story, which is what, what we're getting back to, is the Randall Wallace story. You're 27. Yeah. You're in California. Yes. You're in the L.A. area. Right. Broke. You've decided, we're broke, of course, and that's, <laughs> that has to be part of it. And you've decided to write screenplays. Yes. What a stupid idea. Okay, right? I mean, so because doesn't everybody who lives in L.A., I mean, we've all seen La La Land, everybody has a screenplay or, or two or three. So what do you do with this passion and this desire to write screenplays that allows you to succeed? There were a couple of angels uh, in my life who, who visited, visited me with a kind of burning sword. Um, there are many people who want to have written a screenplay, but very few who have written one. And one of my angels was uh, a friend named Todd Sussman, uh, an actor, uh, and Todd had, had written some, and, but he was well known for his acting largely in commercials, but in movies and, uh, and, and television. And I went to Todd and said, I'm, I'm starting to write a screenplay. What can you tell me? And he said, the only goal of a first draft is to finish. It was one of the most uh, powerful things for him to say because it freed me from this expectation that I was supposed to be good. Just, just get through it. And he said, most people will get about two-thirds of the way through and then they'll quit. And I was determined I would not ever quit. And then my mother was the other angel. Um, my mother never actively encouraged me. And I always felt that in a certain sense she might be ashamed that, um, that entertainment was something like vaudeville or burlesque. Uh, and, and I was... I was close to being a literary stripper or something. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, uh, my parents had come out to visit me, and, uh, and we were out to dinner. What did your father do? My father was the greatest salesman who ever lived. Huh. It, the greatest salesman. Um, 
he never met a stranger and he loved people with such authentic depth. I really believe if we sent my father to Al Qaeda, they would apologize and say, we're, we're going to stop all this nonsense. We'll just be friends. Why he would, didn't he go into politics? <laughs> I, I don't think he believed much in politics. Uh-huh. Uh, he has some company. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he, he, um, there, I tell you, there was nothing inauthentic about him. Uh-huh. So, so deciding what might be politic to say, even though he was a salesman, he was not inauthentic. Um, we went to dinner and I said to my parents, and after a deep breath, I'm thinking I might try writing movies. And my mother looked at me with these piercing blue eyes and said, I think you'd be really good at that. Wow. And it was an amazing um, encouragement. And my first screenplay, I got an agent. Um, then I went through writing television. I was making money. The, the, we had a writer strike and the company I was working for sort of started to collapse. And I went through a period where I thought I've only got one more chance to write before I have to quit and go to law school. And, uh, <laughs> sounds awfully familiar. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I got down on my knees and I, I said sincerely to God, I'm starting to unravel. And my father had had a nervous breakdown. I'd seen that happen. It was a powerful event in our family. Um, and I said, I, I'm feeling like my father felt when he was my age and he had two children as I did at that time. And, and, and I'm thinking, if this is the time when you, God, want me to show my sons what a man does when he gets knocked down, the way my father showed me, and the way he got back up, then help me to bear that, help me do this. But if I go down, let me go down with my flag flying, not on my knees worshiping the gods of Hollywood. Let me, let me fly my flag. And, have and, you ever had a period in your life where uh, you have not had an active connection to God? I I have felt lost, but even then I always believe God was I always believe God was looking. I, as one of my professors said, I searched for God and found God was searching for me. Right. Well, has there ever been a time for you where you felt that what needed to be done for you to complete a film or to succeed in the entertainment industry? conflicted with the demands of faith? I've felt that I was being told that if I did not uh, give in to certain things that I would never work again and I would have destroyed any prospects I had. And I always believed that that was, I always believed God had the, had the final cards. Um, I, hope I don't say this with pride, but I believe I've never sold out. And I, and, and I understood, I think, from the beginning that, that all I had was what I believed, that my only compass was what I loved, was what moved me. Um, that if I could tell a story that, that, that sang in my soul, 
that that brought tears to my eyes, that made that surprised me, uh, then I would be comfortable with whatever the results were. I could live with those results, but I could not live with trying with giving up those things. If I gave those things up, then I was gone. There's more to this story. There, there always is. Um, I know that your career, Randall, your storytelling, your faith, uh, have provided lasting inspiration for many people, including many people who may not even know the background of some of the films that they have seen and enjoyed. Uh, if you want more information about Randall Wallace and his amazing work, visit us at uh, the website for this uh, series of programs. It's called mindswithmedved.com, where you'll also find easy ways to subscribe and to donate and to be part of our future programming. Important conversations like this one do not happen for free. Ideas are free. Thoughts are free. But podcasts and programming like this one, not necessarily so. Please help us keep great minds with Michael Medved going strong and more to come with uh, Randall Wallace.